Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. WILK News Radio. Our friend Rick Bigelow coming up shortly. The Manhattan Project is the subject. Arguably, this is the, this is the project to create an atomic weapon. And it saved millions and millions and millions of lives. And in the its own odd way, it preserved the peace, unprecedented peace on a worldwide scale for decades since World War II. We're honoring today William Headley Osborne. Class of 1981, West Point, 1st U.S. Cavalry, born Wilkes-Barre, PA. Died at age 28 of what appeared to be typhoid after working feverishly alongside and with the Rough Riders who stormed San Juan Hill. And a dear friend of the show dropped this off yesterday. And I said, this is the anniversary of his death at age 28 in 1898 at Camp Wickoff, Montauk Point, Long Island. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. All right. So <laughs> it's funny. It got teed up just as I said it. And I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat, I promise you. Did you just hear the news story? The height of insanity. Now, that's ABC News. That's who produces our news. That's who gives us our national news. So they give it to the local news reader as well. A mask story. A COVID story. They want, It's the zombies. They will not stop. They will not stop. And... The zombies who follow think that a story like that is normal. They forgot the lies about the masks. They forgot the reversals of the masks. They forgot forcing people to wear masks that didn't work. They forgot about all that. They forgot about social distancing, that it was three feet, not six. They forgot about young people who didn't get sick from COVID, who were not a threat for COVID, 
who had their entire lives overturned by it? Was that a directly communicated conspiracy? No, they just imitate and mock each other and follow along like zombies. We have it on our own newscast in the middle of my show. That kind of insanity. (laughs) Please tell me. (laughs) You cannot tell me that's proof of everything I just said in the last hour. And there's no memos going around. They just know what to say and what to do. They know what to pursue. They know what to report on. And now masks and COVID are coming back in the news so that maybe they've got a shot at controlling you. Maybe Pfizer has a shot at making a few billion more. Moderna and the rest. And these are the people who gave us a vaccine who did not stop, which did not stop the spread or prevent me from getting COVID. (laughs) I didn't do anything it was advertised to do. It was essentially a pre-medication. They still call it a vaccine. They're still calling for booster shots. More booster shots coming. And a government only too willing to mandate them. And to use your tax dollars to pay for them for others who supposedly can't afford them. Something that they don't need. Believe me, they want lockdowns. They want you to wear an obedience mask. They want you to get this shot. <laughs> oh my gosh. And and it's through stumbling and bumbling that this happens. And then ignorant people, willfully ignorant people who follow along with it. And they talk about it. On a newscast, like it's nothing, like (laughs) almost like they did everything right in the last pandemic. (laughs) So let's listen to them now. And it goes to the ozone layer, it goes to overpopulation, climate change, all of their issues. They end up being about control. But there's always a tell because they are bluffing. Well, what was the tell in COVID among many? It wasn't just Gavin Newsom going to the new laundry and not wearing a mask when he when everybody else had to have closed the restaurants and wear masks. And it wasn't just Nancy Pelosi going to the hairdresser with prancing around without a mask. No, it was letting millions of illegal aliens into the country without vetting or vaccinating them. No testing, no vaccination. That proved that wasn't the point. COVID wasn't the point. Control was. Battery-powered cars. We know they are worse for the environment. There's, 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 it's irrefutable. We also know that the red Chinese control a majority of the materials that go into making the batteries. We also know we don't know what the hell to do with the batteries when they're done. We also know that the potential to, that the power grid can't accommodate the amount of battery-powered cars they're trying to foist upon us. 
They're going to make you ration your driving and your free. In, this, in essence, your freedom. Guys, you got to see this stuff coming. You have to see it coming. And they're going to come back with COVID because it worked so well for them. They won an election out of it. They got a, a, an insane, degenerate, sick individual who swallowed all of their philosophies as president of the United States because of the last pandemic. You don't think they're going to try it again until it doesn't work? <laughs> oh, Quite amazing. I, and I got to listen to it on my own radio show. I got to listen to Insanity. Mask mandates. Vaccine mandates at still in place at universities around the country. So every time I talk about something insane, we try to reorient ourselves and point out that there is goodness and greatness in this world. And the Manhattan Project, which Rick Bigelow is calling in about, was a project that not only demonstrated greatness, but it showed what the United States can do when a true problem arises. Not, not invented problems like climate change and COVID. True problems like international tyranny, Japan, Germany, and the Soviet Union together. And Rick Bigelow is with us to discuss. Rick, welcome back. Glad to be with you, Bob. I had to go on a diatribe before I put you on, so my apologies. <laughs> no, no problem. All right. So there's a birth of atomic physics and quantum mechanics, which gives us the foundation for the Manhattan Project and uh, all of the things we're going to talk about today. Tell us about that background. Okay. Uh, well, the early part of the 20th century, uh, physicists and chemists were uh, discovering nuclear physics and atomic physics, and they were bombarding all kinds of uh, uh, heavy ions, heavy elements with, uh, with neutrons and protons, just trying to see what would happen. And at one point in time in 1938, uh, a German chemist by the name of Otto Hahn was conducting some experiments, and he he uh, basically was irradiating uranium atoms with neutrons, and he thought he would get a heavier atom. And amazingly, what happened was he found that that uh, he was getting smaller atoms, and he was getting two or more of them. And he was getting additional neutrons and tremendous amounts of energy. So he uh, he he uh, talked to one of his colleagues, who was a woman named Lisa Meitner, who was a, a Jew who had escaped from Germany and was living in Sweden, and asked if she could explain what happened. And she was a Ph.D. theoretical physicist, so she and her nephew Otto Frisch discussed the phenomena and came to the conclusion that they had discovered nuclear fission. And what was especially intriguing to the 
to physicists was the fact that there was a tremendous amount of energy produced in the fission of uranium and also more neutrons and, a, and all this additional uh, energy. So they physicists thought about it and came to the conclusion that uh, uranium fission could be a source of tremendous uh, energy for, for making electricity, but it also could be something that we use for a bomb. And among those who quickly realized this was a Cal Berkeley physicist, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. And I haven't seen uh, that movie yet. I've got to. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. I mean, I've, I've seen other uh, uh, presentations on YouTube, and there have been a couple older movies about the Manhattan Project. But uh, apparently this movie is fairly close to reality, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. So Oppenheimer was born into a wealthy New York City family. His father had uh, come from Germany with, you know, basically nothing and uh, became uh, part of a a clothing empire in New York City and became very wealthy. But Robert Oppenheimer graduated from Harvard in three years. He studied uh, at leading centers of physics in England and Germany, and he received a Ph.D. from the University of Gottingham in in Germany. So he was... uh, he was among the, the leading physicists in the United States at the same at that time. And at the same time, uh, German physicists uh, who were led by Nobel Prize winner Werner Heisenberg also realized the potential of uranium fission and the fact that it could be made into uh, a bomb. And they formed a uranium group in Germany. At this time, most of the scientific and, and uh, engineering feats and and leadership was in germany and some in in uh, england and the united states at the time was was a a very distant third place in terms of uh, physics and science oh boy and, and you know when you think about the time and the time frame and what was happening and the leadership that had emerged That's a scary thought. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Rick Bigelow about the Manhattan Project. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about something called the Einstein Letter with Rick Bigelow on the Bob Cordaro Show after this. And (laughs) the sad day, 2008, Barack Obama introduces his choice of running mate. The deluded, not quite... Um, demented at this point, Joe Biden of Delaware, before a crowd outside the old state capital in Springfield, Illinois, this date, 2008, he was to be his running mate, and Barack didn't want him ever to be president. He was all that was left after Hillary got thumped. And... They talk about Barack's assessment of him. Well, what was Barack's assessment after eight years with Joe Biden? Never underestimate Joe Biden's capacity to F things up. <laughs> that, was, that was his final analysis. And now this doddering idiot is our president, this disgraceful human being. Wow. That's, I, I, we play history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, that's the pretty bad and that's the ugly. And Joe Biden has become worse uh, these 15 years later. 
So we're talking with Rick Bigelow, the Manhattan Project, and I, I alluded to something. Well, I didn't allude, allude to it. I said it outright. The Einstein letter. Uh, take it from there, Rick Bigelow. Okay. Uh, so this in 1939. Now, this was only a year after uh, uranium fission was discovered. Uh, Hungarian-born physicists Leo Szilard and Eugene Wigner, who were both uh, Jewish and were refugees from Germany, spoke to Albert Einstein, who was another Jewish physicist who had escaped Nazi Germany, and he was living on Long Island at the time. Uh, They talked to uh, Einstein about their concerns that Hitler's Germany could be working on an atomic bomb. So Einstein wrote and signed a letter. And by the way, it's it's important to note that the policymakers who were making these decisions and, in fact, the scientists who were working on uh, the physics of all of this, nobody knew, you know, joke, (laughs) nobody knows how big this thing's going to get. You're absolutely right. They just knew that there was potential that uh, an atomic bomb could be built, and uh, they really didn't want Hitler's Germany to be the first one to get it. Mm-hmm. So they wrote a letter to uh, Roosevelt and uh, FDR. And, and, of course, you know, everybody's always asking the president for a lot of things and recommending a lot of things. But FDR saw that this was an issue. And so he set up a committee to look into the situation. Before we're at war. (laughs) Before we're at war. This is is 1939, 1940. But, you know, he was pretty sure we were going to get into war. And for all intents and purposes, uh, we had the the American Navy was uh, helping with the convoys that were going to Europe at the time. So we were kind of engaged, and uh, FDR thought, we were going to be fully engaged sooner or later. But this is pre-Lend-Lease uh, Act and all of that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, that was all in the works, but it hadn't come into effect yet. But So Roosevelt set up a, a bunch of committees that looked into it. And uh, finally, in uh, 1940, uh, they set up, or pardon me, 1941, he set up the Atomic uh, project known as the Manhattan Project. He, he put uh, Army Colonel Leslie Groves was in charge of the project, and he put the Army in charge of it because he, he thought that uh, eventually there was, if we could do it, the Army was going to be the one to uh, control the atomic bomb. So Groves was the colonel at the time. He had just gotten done with uh, building the Pentagon, and he came in uh, ahead of schedule and on budget. and <laughs> An and, enormous feat. The, then the largest office building in the world. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> wow. And, and in, uh, you know, right across the river in, in Virginia from, from Washington, D.C. So he... Uh, uh, Rick Bigelow, just uh, as an aside, history has had a way over the years of having exactly the right person in exactly the right place at exactly the right time, and also the reverse, the absolutely worst person in the place at the worst possible moment (laughs) to do the worst possible things. Uh, But this colonel was one of the good ones. 
He was. So he was put in overall charge of the project, and uh, he he hit the ground running. And and uh, I you know serious work on the project didn't really start until mid December of 1941, and this was right after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and Germany's declaration of war on the United States. Uh, so Groves was promoted to Brigadier General, and he began looking for a scientist to lead the scientific and technical aspects of the project. So he met with a bunch of the scientists who had been on these committees that uh, FDR had, had uh, initiated, and it, for the most part, the scientists didn't trust the military because a lot of them were Jewish refugees, and they saw people in uniforms, and it just reminded them of the uh, the German stormtroopers. So they were skeptical, mm-hmm. and they wanted the uh, Manhattan Project to be, you know, like a, a scientific research project. Uh, Groves, on the other hand, wanted it to be a an engineering and scientific research project that would result, hopefully, in an atomic bomb. Yeah. So most of the scientists didn't like Groves, and he was suspicious of them. But one uh, scientist he met with and actually kind of liked was Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer was undoubtedly a brilliant guy, had a Ph.D. in physics, studied under renowned physicists in, in the U.K. and Germany, spoke several languages. and In fact, one of his stock uh, things was, ask me a question in Latin, and I will respond to you in Greek. Hmm. So he knew Latin, Greek, taught himself Dutch, uh, loved French poetry, uh, taught himself Sanskrit so he could read the Hindu scriptures, the Bhagavad Gita. But he was also a socialist who had dabbled in communism until the late 1930s. So the the genius is there. It's put in place by Groves, and we're going to take a break, come back with the weather, uh, a little bit of Oliver Anthony, and then Rick Bigelow. The Manhattan Project, our subject today, it's the Bob Cordero Show. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We're joined by Rick Bigelow, and we're talking about the Manhattan Project. Uh, We're going to try to finish this up on Friday, but I don't want to give short shrift, uh, Rick Bigelow, to any of the aspects of the development of this bomb. And a bunch of people with some really cool text, the body shop guy echoing what you had said, uh, he read that Oppenheimer studied ancient Hindu texts that talked about devastating weapons of the gods. That's where Oppenheimer got his quote about becoming death. Uh, somebody else, Rick, and I don't want to get sidetracked because there's so much to go through. They said, don't forget to mention Sweden's intervention to halt the heavy water production. Uh, that I don't know about. But uh, let, let's go back to where you left off, Rick Bigelow, and... There were two types of devices contemplated, uranium bomb and a plutonium bomb. Oh, I didn't press. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me back up a little bit about uh, when when Groves met uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, Oppenheimer was, was actually, Groves wanted to have this be a, a military project with security, uh, and and uh, and Oppenheimer was okay with that, whereas most of the other uh, scientists wanted it to be uh, a, a basically a university research uh, project. But Oppenheimer said he was okay with having it someplace where it could be consolidated into one uh, one uh, one big laboratory where they could work on the physics and actually making the bomb. Uh, so I, that endeared him to Groves, and, and Groves just overlooked his uh, his communist past and thought that he had the right guy uh, to to lead the technical aspects of the project. So, like you said, there were two parallel paths. One was a uranium bomb, and one was a the other was a plutonium bomb. There were monumental physics and uh, engineering and manufacturing. Uh, problems uh, associated with each type of bomb that would have to be overcome. And remember, the reason they were uh, looking at building this bomb is they wanted to get it done before the Germans got it. So talk about the uranium bomb a little bit. Uh, There are two major uh, forms of uranium. One is uranium-238, which is 99% of uh, all naturally occurring uranium. And then there's uranium-235, which is less than 1% of naturally occurring uranium. Uh, as life would have it, U-235 is, is the much more readily fissionable uh, isotope than U-238. Maybe, so, thank God, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The bomb would have to be made of almost solid U-235. So then the problem became, how do we increase the concentration of U-235 to something over 90%? Uh, Four different methods were proposed. Each would require huge infrastructure build-out and cost hundreds of millions of dollars. 
since this was a crash program, we wanted to make sure we beat the Germans. All four methods were funded. And, I mean, that would never happen uh, in anything but an extremist situation. So they, they went forward on all four different types. Eventually, most of the U-235 for the project was produced by gaseous diffusion method, uh, and that was uh, made possible by erecting this huge town out of nothing in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Hmm. And a lot of it is, is still there today. Within months, uh, they had built up a huge town and this huge industrial complex to uh, make U-235 out of uh, natural uranium. The second type of bomb was the plutonium bomb. And the interesting thing here... Now, now Rick, even... Rick, indulge me for just a moment. <laughs> I want to I say hello to my father, who I know is listening. Uh, we love you, and we're so happy that the operation went well. And uh, our friend Rick Bigelow is uh, telling us about the Manhattan Project. And we're on the plutonium bomb portion of the discussion. So, Rick, continue. Yeah, Bob, let me say I'm delighted to hear that your dad came through the uh, operation successfully. So Thank that's, you. Uh, that's Thank a you. huge plus for today. It is. Yes, it is. So the plutonium bomb, uh, nobody even knew about plutonium until 1941 when, you know, some of these same scientists were zapping uh, uranium atoms with, uh, with neutrons. Some of them fissioned. Some of them just absorbed the extra neutron and decayed into what then became plutonium. Uh, so it, and that happened in 1941. And the amazing thing is within a couple years, they knew enough about plutonium uh, to, to make a bomb out of it. So it just, just incredible. So in theory, the plutonium bomb would be easier to make because you can easily separate plutonium chemically from other elements. Uh, this was in contrast to the uranium problem because U-235 couldn't be chemically separated from U-238. The main problem was there wasn't much plutonium. It would have to be made. And so the, the, re, the way you make plutonium is you bombard U-238 with neutrons, and then it radioactively decays to plutonium-239, which is the uh, isotope of plutonium that readily fissions. So a series of large reactors would have to be built to produce the plutonium-239. Uh, they built these reactors at a site in eastern Washington state known as Hanford. And the reason they put Oak Ridge in Tennessee was access to power from the Tennessee Valley Authority. Tennessee Valley Authority. And the reason they put the plutonium production facilities in Hanford was access to the power from the uh, Bonneville Power Project in uh, Washington and Oregon. So, isn't so it amazing, Rick Bigelow? And I, we've got to take a break, but that they did things that made sense instead of uh, forcing political <laughs> uh, imposition on a monster project. It's fascinating. <laughs> Time's so different. <laughs> We'll take a right. break. Rick Bigelow's our guest. The Manhattan Project, our subject. This is the Bob Cadaro Show. Rick Bigelow is our guest. The Manhattan Project is our subject. Um, 
So we've got about four or five minutes left, Rick Bigelow. Uh, Let's get it to the point, well, to a logical point uh, in terms of testing and so forth so we can move on uh, hopefully Friday uh, to discuss this again. Uh, Fire away. Okay. uh, Well, said that uh, we're going to build two different types of, of bombs. And uh, Groves was adamant about security of the whole thing, and he uh, he wanted to uh, maintain security really tight. Uh, and during the entire Manhattan Project, only a few dozen people in the U.S. government knew what it was all about. Uh, even MacArthur and Nimitz didn't know about it until right before the uh, the atomic bombs were dropped. So one of the the first steps was creating the chain reaction. Uh, The scientists were pretty sure it could happen, but they needed to prove it. Uh, And Enrico Fermi's team at the University of Chicago designed and built the first nuclear reactor to go critical on December 2nd, 1942. Fermi was a very interesting guy. He's an Italian, uh, but he was married to a Jewish woman. And as uh, Mussolini's Italy uh basically adopted a lot of the same anti-jewish uh sentiments and and uh, statutes and whatnot that hitler's germany had uh fermi knew that he needed to get uh, his family out of italy and uh he was awarded the nobel prize and so uh he he uh, was able to take his wife and kids to stockholm for the nobel prize award and while and when he was there, he uh, finally escaped to America. Mm. Uh, but he was, he was a brilliant guy, he, probably as brilliant as uh, Oppenheimer. So they built this, uh, what they called the Chicago Pile. It was a, basically a, a group of uh, graphite blocks, and uh, there was uranium uh, built into it. And he was able to bring the reactor pile uh, critical. Critical means that the chain, chain reaction could be sustained and controlled. Supercritical means that the chain reaction could be sustained and was uncontrolled, and that would be the basis for the bomb. Wow. So that basically gave all the scientists and engineers uh, firm footing that they could, in fact, uh, build a bomb out of uranium and possibly uh, plutonium, too. And Rick, so as think- an aside, isn't it amazing that our nuclear-powered submarine fleet, in particular, contains both critical and supercritical as components of their lethality? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, the the submarines and the aircraft carriers, uh, they they can go for 20 years or so without uh, refueling. And and, so the, the, and the submarine can fire the supercritical uh, nuclear-tipped warheads, and there are they are still at the forefront of our nuclear triad, and probably in the case of Asia and China, uh, the main threat that keeps the Chinese from acting. Yeah, I think uh, with without a doubt the. Uh the submarine fleet is probably the the major deterrent, uh, along with the aircraft carriers. Yeah. But you know, the aircraft carriers um, can be are vulnerable, but the submarines are pretty darn stealthy. Yeah, 
This is it's amazing stuff. Well, Rick Bigelow, Friday at 11, if you are available, I'd like yep. to talk about building these bombs, the Trinity test, and then, of course, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the ultimate usage of the weapon. This is amazing stuff. I, 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 I Maybe, well, I probably won't get to because there's a lot going on, but I, I've got to see this Oppenheimer movie. I really do. I, I think, yeah, I've got to see it, too. I think it's going to be really good. And they, they say it's I, like I'll three say, hours, but you could you, you don't even notice it. Right. <laughs> Let me say one more thing about security. I said that only a few dozen people in the U.S. government knew about it. Well, the Russians knew all about it. And we'll talk about that some on Friday of how the Russians infiltrated the Manhattan Project. Well, somebody somebody texted in that uh, some, um, no, I can't find it, but some young kid or something did it, uh, sold the Manhattan Project files or something to the Russians. Yeah, the that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, and and the reasons for it are interesting, but it was very clear that when Harry Truman told uh, Stalin about it at the Potsdam conference in 1945, Stalin knew all about it. Yeah. Hey, somebody text soup can text in about the Fermi paradox. Are you familiar with that concept? I've never heard of it before. Um, vaguely familiar with it, but I will uh, I will look it up and uh, and uh, if we got time, we can talk about it on Friday. All right. Well, Rick Bigelow, thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you Friday at eleven, and and continuing this. I mean, this was this was world-altering events, and you can't get better than that. Absolutely. All right. I thank you, as always. Appreciate it. Our audience appreciates it, and uh, you're uh, you're the teacher part of this uh, very large, uh, sort of confused family. Thank you so much. Rick Bigelow, The Manhattan Project, will finish up on Friday. And uh, always great stuff. Time for the news. Bob Cadaro, WILK. The program will return after this. WILK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 